We are back with our food portion. Oh, wait, actually, sorry. Sorry, so sorry. Or not. Um, maybe not. <laughs> he he looks so disappointed. You're listening to The John Chi Show, hosted by three Korean-American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean, American, and more. And now, here's your hosts, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. Welcome back to the John Cheese Show. I'm your co-host, Nathan Nowak, along with KJ and Patrick. Why do you guys always laugh when I introduce myself? <laughs> Dang it. It's because you said co-host, it. and I know that I made fun I of you that one time. I did not pause, though. That time it, I didn't pause. It, it, I made fun of you the one time, but it, now it just sounds weird. <laughs> Fine, I'm not saying it so. again. <laughs> I am Nathan, one of your hosts. Nice. See, that sounds better. Okay. I don't know. Whatever, don't let me police you. Live your life, bro. <laughs> we are the John Chi Show. This is episode 29. Wow. It wow. is the week of March. We have an amazing episode, part two, actually. So I guess it's episodes, <laughs> the tail end of the episode, with Jordan Van Hemert. And it is his week. It is his release week. But before we get into that, let's talk about our show John Chi. What does it mean, KJ? <laughs> oh, you mean defining what John Chi sure. means? Sure. Let's talk I realized about it for in any... one of our episodes, I think that we released recently, we forgot to do that. Yeah, exactly. Like, That's why I'm bringing fool. it up. No, I appreciate that. Uh, so, John Chi means to celebrate or to feast. I believe it is an older Korean term. Um, so, like, it wouldn't be used in modern modern day language except for the show. So, we here to uh, to celebrate uh, our identities as Koreans, Americans, adoptees, and more. We're here to feast, usually on a Korean snack. So, I don't know how much feasting we're really doing, uh, but you know, to be Nibbling. honest, I would it's more of a nibble. I mean, I would throw down a whole family sized <laughs> bag of chips on my own in one sitting, like in one sitting of like Wandavision. So, like, oh, it doesn't right. even take yeah. that much time. So, anyways, that's what the show is about. We just we're just here to have a good time, explore explore some intersectionalities and uh, laugh. <laughs> yeah. Speaking uh, of that, oh, <laughs> thank you for that very fake laugh. That was Perfect. a real laugh. You guys know I, my laugh, and you know it's a wheeze followed by a loud shriek. That's true. I, I talked to somebody, and then you recently. come back with like a snotty. I never know, but when I'm editing, it's like a. Like when you when you come back, that? yes. Like oh, after you laugh, you go. Here's here's Patrick. Here's how you laugh. You go. <laughs> Anyways, and I was like, what? What is this? So I I always cut it out. I'm like, this sounds gross. Are you serious? Yeah. Whoa. I your laugh has now been edited. Wow. I'm now checking that every time. I just laugh right there, and I'm like, don't slurp. Yeah. <laughs> Dang it. I'm the slurper. Now I he's going to be even so know. self-conscious for every laugh forever. Just like it's I really am when I say co-host. <laughs> well, it makes Thanks, sense. Thanks, I do spit out when I laugh sometimes. So yeah, you got that, that Donald Faison, like, extra saliva when you get excited thing going exactly. on. Exactly. Yeah. I don't notice it, Patrick. Just so you're not self-conscious, I don't notice that. <laughs> I didn't notice it so. either until just now when KJ, and I know why I don't, because KJ removes it. So I actually thank you. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for man. cleaning me up. I'm just here to make everybody sound good. Um, it's funny. I don't remember what I was going to say. Never mind. 
hilarious. This is good. This whole intro is just oh, going to be us laughing about no, random stuff. You know stuff what? I was going to say, yeah. uh, sometimes I feel bad because when I'm editing, like especially, I think something about, maybe it's like our mic settings or what, but something about... Uh, I will be talking or whatever, and Nathan, you'll throw in a joke, and I will just power on through like I didn't even hear it, and I don't hear it until the edit. I'm like, God, I sound like such a jerk, but I, it's <laughs> legitimately because I did not hear it. And Sarah was like, sometimes you just like go straight through and like don't acknowledge what Nathan says. I'm like, oh yeah, it's because I don't hear it until that's later. okay. I'm laughing Sorry, on bro. the inside, and sometimes that's what matters. <laughs> he's crying on the outside, but he's <laughs> laughing on the inside. I'm crying exactly. I'm laughing, <laughs> crying. It's drop. okay. It's okay. You don't need to get all my jokes. Sometimes these yeah. are jokes that are just in my head that I just want to get out too. So <laughs> I appreciate and, them. And, appreciate and you know, them. you could always edit them out, edit them back in. I don't know, make them louder. <laughs> Edit them out, put them in a different episode. Exactly. You move move it around. Do your magic. I don't, you know. I do, I'm just gonna... not to like get into the weeds of editing, but there are times when sometimes, like whether it's us or one of our guests, the laughter will be really loud, but it provides a lot of good energy. There's a little behind the scenes of the podcast. Provides a lot of good energy for like the moment. So I will like cut it and then turn it way down so that like you still get the energy of the laughter, but you can actually hear what's being said on top of that. Interesting. Oh, cool. I thought you were actually going to say there that you cut it out and then move it somewhere else like a laugh track. Uh, Sometimes I do that as well, but not like a laugh track. But I will like if if a joke is funnier, but like the timing isn't quite right because Zoom or whatever, like I'll just like cut it and move it ahead or move it back so that it like moments land a little funnier or, you know, whatever to me. I feel like you were directing that at me. You no. should just put a laugh track over one of the episodes one exactly. time. Just don't say anything. Just Every time. It. Yeah. Just that one, track. like, find the one with that one guy's obnoxious laugh. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Sorry, that was not slurping, Patrick. <laughs> That wasn't even me. Was- <laughs> you did that so slyly, too. Damn it. <laughs> that was Anyways, uh, we have a thing to talk about before we get into the episode. First off, I wanted to say um, a lot of people, and by a lot of people, I mean two people, uh, both of whom are associated with the show, were like, hey, Jordan's first episode ended pretty abruptly. Uh, what's up with that? Well, the reason that was up with that was because um, it ended up being a really long single interview and good things were said throughout, uh, but it, it felt like it... it Divided pretty evenly between um, kind of Jordan's life and his backstory and everything, and then into the album talk, I Am Not a Virus. And so um, just as our our way of supporting him and building up some things, we decided to cut the later half of the interview and save it until right before his release, uh, because we're really excited to support him. Uh, So that's why this is called part two. Um, He's not like come back necessarily, but we're just releasing the rest of the episode. Uh, So it does crash right into Nathan being like, so tell me about your music. Um, So if it feels like we're picking up in the middle of a thing, you are. If you want to listen to it uh, all in one take, then you can go back and listen to his first one and then uh, listen to this next one. Um, In light of uh, all of this talk uh, it's been really fun um, supporting Jordan he's been doing a lot of work um, press and non-press related just to um, get energy behind his album release which comes out in two days it's called I Am Not A Virus Uh, sorry it comes out in two days when you're listening to this (laughs) it comes out in two days from when the episode drops I realize you could be listening to it in the future so you could already get this but anyways uh, so we're really really excited Um, but one of the things that I wanted to talk to uh, my co-hosts about is 
Um, one of the questions that we ask a lot of our guests who have existed in the adoptee space is from your perspective, what do you think the adoptee community needs? Um, what's a, a thing that we can contribute? And now that we have all existed kind of within and without the community for a hot second, uh, I wanted to throw it to, uh, Nathan and to Patrick. What do you think the adoptee community needs from your experience and, and kind of from your point of view? Patrick, would you like to start? Uh, he, he said your name first, so I was going to let you go. Oh, well. <laughs> age before age before younger age. So, <laughs> thank, thank you, thank you. And mine will be shorter too, I'm sure, and and less um, elegant. But uh, I would personally say, which I think is is uh, for what I have seen and what we've been doing, is is the adoption community needs more of a voice. I think they need more awareness and that's kind of what we're doing with the show. Uh, after all of the episodes that we have been interviewing some of the great, uh, guests that we've had, I really enjoy hearing everyone's stories and that, um, their voices on topics of current situations of, uh, you know, things that we have no clue about even that are happening in the, in the world, like the, the adoption, um, cutoff in, in the Netherlands. I don't know, again, some of you might not even heard of that, but there's all kinds of things that are coming to light that we are aware of now from either the media or clubhouse or social media, or just doing the research that we do for the, for topics and, I am very appreciative of that new awareness that I have uh, in the adoption world. So I, I think having the voice that we have right now on our podcast is uh, sharing it with others that are listening. And I hope that inspires others to do more research and to find out about more current situations in the world for that belong to Korea and to adoption and transracial adoptions. Yeah, I think uh, you bring up a really great point about awareness. Um I think for me, when I first started into this space and doing the show and engaging, um, it very much felt like there weren't very many adoptive voices. And then in the next four months, I felt like we were a part of a huge wave of adoptees that started to use their voice or find their voice, uh, whether it be online or in other platforms. Um, which was really, really awesome. So uh, I think what the community specifically could use right now is not just representation amongst the larger diasporas that we fall into, but I think I think it would be great to see uh, adoptees with multiple differing points of view come together and have conversations and move forward in that way. Whether or not we agree on everything, whether or not... Um, you know, like specific action items are created in those meetings or whatever the case is. I think I, I would love to see that conversation start to happen a little bit more often. Um, and I think that's the next step towards the representation we're looking for in the AAPI spaces and, you know, the solidarity and allyship we're looking for or wanting to have uh shown by other communities of color and that we should be showing those communities of color as well i think jerry said something really i don't know if you guys listened to dear asian americans the 100th episode but he said something about if your own house isn't in order how are you going to be able to help other people and i think even for our specific community i think i look at it like that um i think it's great to have so many different voices and and people and differing views and opinions i think 
once we're able to finally sit down together and share those openly without attacking each other maliciously, I think that's going to be, that's what we, that's where I think we need or what the community needs and what I would like to see. I had the, uh, the privilege of talking with, um, a transversal adoptee who is, uh, in the research phase, um, for a paper that she is writing, like a scholarly paper that she's writing about the transracial adoptee experience. Um, she is herself a transracial adoptee. And uh, I was just curious. Well, not curious. One of my, I guess, shower thoughts was, you know what I think the adoptee community needs is uh, some, I guess, better way of connecting with each other, uh, of knowing what each other is putting out into the world. Um, I think... Patrick, to your point, <clears throat> to you, it feels like we are, are riding a wave of a new generation of um, adoptees who have found their voice and are using their uh, powers of creation and platforms that social media have given them to uh, both find their voice and um, amplify just kind of our voice in general, right? Um, what I'm I'm curious about and what I think the next step needs to happen and maybe needs to happen again, and I wonder, um, you know, how much of this is just because we haven't been able to meet in person or, or whatever, um, or just because this is a new wave and the internet is still pretty new. But, like, in academia, there is a lot of, you know, like, somebody will write something and then it will be peer-reviewed and then you, like, put it in a publication that all of, like, your peers read and things like that, right? I just wonder, like, if that can exist for adoptees. Uh, and like, if we can like collectively, I, I think it's an adjacent point to what you're saying, Patrick, but like, if we can know what all, a lot of people are talking about, obviously not everyone, but like, kind of like have a sense of like, where does the majority opinion lie? Because I think when you, for me, it's as I've waded into adoptee spaces, it's been very, um, like, um, roaming tribes of people. And if I happen to come into an area, then I'll be like, oh, here's a tribe of people who may or may not share the same thoughts. But then like, you know, I'll move and I will find another tribe of people and they are, uh, disparate and separate from that previous tribe of people, except connected by the fact that we're all adoptees. And so some of the thoughts might be analogous. Some of the thoughts may be, you know, like I'm newer to this. And so, you know, like it, there is a type of circular journey as well as just like, but there's not like a, we aren't really like a, even a village yet, you know, like we, the, the tribes haven't found each other um, and have no way of communicating. You know, maybe if we see some smoke in the distance, we'll be like, oh, there's a camp over there. We can go and talk to them. But like, there's not a, a better way that I'm aware of to uh, to have those conversations or to find those resources. Granted, I haven't been looking for them, which I realize means that I am part of the problem. Uh, but um, I just, I that's kind of the thing that, um, you know, like Jordan has been really good about uh, supporting all of the adoptees that he's found, um, you know, but like, I don't know that for, even for our role as, the John Chi show, maybe we haven't been quite as good about, uh, being loud about other adoptees to listen to, you know, um, other spaces, other places to go and, and trying to literally kind of bridge our community together and, and, and say like, check these people out and check these people out and check these people out, you know, uh, knowing that we cannot be all things to all people, but at least like having a sense of like, there's some people over there that like, you know what, like, it sounds like you could find, a safe space for or like i hope that you stay in our community because you are a dissenting voice and we need that like wrestling to make us both stronger or you know whatever so that's kind of what i was thinking yeah yeah funny you bring that up actually some of the 
times I do find other uh, adoptees in the community or other resources is when other companies or nonprofits tag us in their posts or things like that. So that's how I've actually found a few uh, things. Like I, I think you know the adoptee love Instagram account. Mm-hmm. They they did one where like just recently I was looking at it as like support adoptee businesses, uh, bloggers in the adoptee community, authors in the community, musicians. You know, we were in the podcast uh, category, but then they did YouTube, and I really appreciate that that uh, um, that shout outs to all these different adoptee organizations, and that I think is is the start of finding other resources for sure. And I appreciate that. Yeah. She does a great job of collecting things and uh, amplifying voices uh, across the adoptee spectrum, not just like Asian adoptees or, you know, specific adoptees, like a transracial adoptees. I think it's really cool what she does over there. Um, KJ, to your point about, you know, find, or how do we find more, more of those voices? Um, Or how do we like, make more efficient the communication between these disparate groups. Um, I think one of the things, like I said, I've been having this conversation lately is about leadership in the adoptee community and how there's not really how most adoptees, if you ask them, there's not one person or peoples that they consider people consider to be leaders in this community because all of our experiences are so different. Um, even though we have similar like origins and themes and through lines. Um, and, I 100% get that. I think that the community representing itself is better than one person representing the community or parts of the community. I do, however, think that it does hinder communication in that sense. And I think that's another thing I guess I would like to see too. And I guess that's what I was talking about when coming to the table and having different opinions being voiced in the same conversation is just instead of maybe having leaders, like if we have different opinions and there's going to be camps in each of those things, like having the groups come together because it's then it acts. It so is what you're saying is like, if we could have like a house <laughs> of, uh, elected, uh, I don't know, like representatives, I guess you could say, maybe where everybody gets together and just chats about stuff meetings <laughs> uh, maybe they say some things that we do or don't agree with maybe there's like some filibustering you're, you're kind of like talking about like that kind of situation yeah without the filibuster though <laughs> <laughs> i don't know man i feel like if i mention star wars i have opened myself up to a filibuster on our own show so <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but yeah i think that I think that you're right. I think one of the tangible ways we can like contribute to that is by shouting out more people. And I think I personally, and this is an excuse, but I've been doing so much lately. I've fallen behind even listening to our own show and I need wow. to get caught up. On, yeah. I need to get Thanks, caught up on all of all the other, all of these other things that are out there because there's a lot of great podcasts and stuff and other content out there. And so, yeah, like the adoptee love Instagram for sure very thankful for resources like that but yeah i think we could also be voicing those or at least shouting people out um in that way because it, we kind of do of i mean we there. shout out that's true individuals on each episode whoever our guests are um and you know they showcase what they're doing and and what other organizations sometimes they're involved in so in a way we are doing it in a, in a smaller scale but uh so i don't think there's any fault in 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 what we've been doing, but yeah, I, I, and the fact that we're branching out, I mean, you know, all these different conferences that we're learning about, um, you know, authors that you guys are researching. 
<laughs> cooking that I'm researching. <laughs> so, you know. Bro, true. That I'm very excited for that to yeah. to be No like, spoilers. Uh, People will yeah. have to find out for yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah. Just a little little tease. Uh, Nathan's <laughs> been tease. in the kitchen. Someone's in the kitchen with Nathan. Uh, it's not us though. In the kitchen, I know. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's interesting, you know, like I have to keep reminding myself that international adoption is so young. Uh, and I being neither an ethnographer or a uh, sociologist or, uh, you know, demographer. I don't know if that's a real thing, but it feels right. Um, like being not, you know, at all versed in the life cycle of a community. Um, I have to remind myself that we are young and maybe it is fine that it still feels like um, a bunch of roaming tribes, you know, on the Great Plains. Just like maybe we pass each other, maybe we don't, whatever. But like there aren't really borders yet and there's not like nobody's come together to create these villages and like, you know what I mean? Like even the sense of like, oh yeah, we don't have leaders in our community. Well, like I guess it'd be cool if we could have like quote unquote leaders in the community, but like leading us to what? Or like leading us for what, you know, like, and I don't know that anyone, I mean, maybe some people do, but I certainly don't have a strong sense of what that would look like or what I would want in that, you know, um, but I'm, uh, that's why I'm so, I wish I had more time. Uh, uh, I wish I was better at reading things instead of just listening to things. But like that, that phrase, you know, uh, Korean adoptee counter public uh, really sticks out in my mind because I think that there is a real sense of like, while we all exist in, in the world uh, and in this time that there is like an, an undercurrent that as soon as we find it, we all feel it uh, of being connected and, and, and having that, um, kinship and, and wanting to show up for each other or not wanting to show up for each other, you know, but like that there is, uh, an unmistakable connection that we all feel to each other, um, that pushes or pulls us away. Uh, so yeah, so it's just, it's an interesting thing. And I'm, I'm just curious to see, you know, for as much as we have a platform, what, uh, what can we be doing? And so, yeah, I think that, you know, in six months, if we talk about this again, our answers will probably have changed. Um, but I was just, I just wanted to, to check in and see where y'all were at with that. Yeah. So thanks and for what, indulging me. And what me. better way to bring people together than with music? That, that is, very is true. true. Nathan, you are the king of segues. Um, <laughs> yep. We are getting into part two of Jordan's interview where he talks about kind of the making of his album, I Am Not A Virus. Uh, we talk about everything from the music itself to the people who are influential in making it happen to obviously the pandemic uh, to the cover art. Uh, it is really, really fantastic. Um, also, just remember, this is the second half of an interview that was recorded like late 2020. So we're dropping into the middle of things. So Pre-election. Be prepared, yeah. be prepared for a little bit of whiplash uh, and time <laughs> travel. Here we go. Speaking of your music, uh, Jordan, it was really amazing. We listened to some uh, of your your music on, uh, I guess, the SoundCloud. Oh, um, great! Yeah, the the really nice stuff. I, I really like that. It, do you play all of the instruments on there, or just the sax? Just the saxophone. Um, okay. So I am what we call in the business a woodwind specialist. So that means that I perform professionally on all of the woodwinds. So all of the saxophones, all of the clarinets and flutes um, are instruments that I feel comfortable playing professionally. Okay. Um, but no, I, I definitely had some assistance playing uh, with the piano and the trumpet, um, bass, and drums. 
Wow, well, it's, it's amazing. I really, really like it. I'm actually going to share it with my parents too. They, they love, uh, you know, love instrumental music. So um, they will be all over that. So going from these jazz leanings and then going through undergrad, what, how does all of that kind of coalesce into what you're doing now at Hope College teaching? I, it's music, I think, right? Uh, yeah, yeah what I, okay. I, teach, I teach music. No, yeah. it's actually, it's well, English. I just wanted to make sure. I mean, he could just be doing jazz on the side. He's That's a literature professor. No, he's yeah. teaching food. Didn't you hear him? <laughs> he loves food. Um, I'm just wondering kind of what, how you got from there, uh, from those points that we left off to Hope. Uh, what took you on that journey? What brought you back to Michigan, specifically Holland, small, small town Michigan after leaving? And um, yeah. So after I finished my doctorate and during my master's degree and my doctorate degree, I actually was, I did have a pretty, you know, a good network of Asian friends and it was, I had had some Asian professors at that point, but I, it was a really kind of rewarding time. Um, and I think one that I really gained a lot from, and I didn't know I was gaining uh, a lot from it. But then when I think back on those memories of like celebrating um, like Chinese New Year with my um, Taiwanese friends um, and things of that nature, like those, those are some of my most cherished memories from uh, all of those various locations. So, it, you know, I, I was growing into my identity at that point. And, um, I still think it's something that I'm growing into, um, <laughs> but <laughs> that's neither here nor there, I guess. So, um, or is it exactly here and there? <laughs> it, it might be <laughs> very well, maybe <laughs> so deep. It's not it's a really dumb joke that I probably will cut later. Nope. Leave it in. <laughs> well, I can't cut it now that I said, I'm going to cut it. That's right. like basically my rule. <laughs> that's true. So bringing me back to Michigan. So, the music department where I work uh, had gone through a couple of retirements, a couple of departures that had led me back. Um, and of course, you know, in academia, you apply for jobs all over the country. And, you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough market, um, especially when you have eight or nine English professors full time uh, at an institution of this size or something. You have one who teaches saxophone. <laughs> so it was something where I, I was like, I don't think that I would get go uh, and do this, but then it, you know, kind of made sense. I know the area. I have some, you know, connections. I'm a big fan of not burning any bridges or at least burning as few as, as possible. So, you know, there was a point at which it just made sense to kind of come back here. And then with regard to the record, and kind of my whole identity narrative that fits into the record. I had originally had the plan to make a recording because I, I had been writing a lot of music and I thought, okay, it's time. It's time to share this. Um, I had been putting it off because as a musician, I think you, you have this state of never being ready enough for your own. Yep. Yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So you guys know. <laughs> oh yeah, um, definitely. So, so but never... for the listeners at home, you should probably. <laughs> so um, there, there's this state of never being ready enough 
for the, the, the thing that you want to tackle or never being ready enough, you know, to document it. And the thing that I was plagued by was this idea of like permanence. I was like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to make this record and it's going to be this thing that's going to exist like forever. <laughs> can't take like it's, it away. It's going well, to exist can, forever. I, I can't, I can't take this back. <laughs> so my thought was it better be good or at least as close to good as I can. <laughs> I like it. But I, I had, you know, recently got over that. And one of the great things about Hope College is that we have a professional recording studio and an incredible engineer um, who has worked in, in some really great spaces, Chicago, Nashville. It just made sense. Like if you, if you have an umbrella and you're standing in the rain, you, you should probably use it. Like that's, a, that's an educated thing to do. It's a common sense thing to do, actually. But I, I had thought, like, I, I need to do this. So I, like, started making a, like, a catalog of my favorite musicians that I wanted to collaborate with. And, and originally, I had just come into this recording process thinking, all right, I'll just write a bunch of new music for this great group of musicians that I am um, really interested in working with. There are people that I had gotten to know since I lived in Michigan. Um, and then one old friend uh, from my undergrad who I had kept in touch with and had just been playing with and, and love his work. And so that all changed when the pandemic hit. Things were getting kind of bad in like February and in Michigan, we were up here wondering, like, when is this going to get here? Not, is this going to get here? Not an if. It was a, uh, cool, so when are we going to get hit? So it ended up being uh, that the college shut down during our week of spring break. And so I essentially didn't get a spring break and just spent my spring break prepping and moving all of my classes to remote formats. And, and that, let me tell you, is something that I do not wish to do again <laughs> so we're all online yeah end of the year was in you know late april early may and i was exhausted i hadn't written a note i had i hadn't written any music you know from the time that the pandemic hit i had i got a couple uh a couple of of compositions in before but from the time that the pandemic hit to the end of the semester i hadn't written anything and i was stuck with this thought of like Oh no, am right. I going to go into the studio <laughs> and waste this precious gift of time? Am I going to waste these, you know, these incredible musicians, their, their time. And what, what eventually took me back was I had this live stream gig in June, um, with a, a colleague of mine and it was so revitalizing. I hadn't played live in a long time with actual humans. I had just been practicing at that point. And, and, you know, trying to compose. And I had like 20 or 30 uh, compositions that I started, but just couldn't finish. And I, in June, it, it was this one gig that was so revitalizing. Well, simultaneously, while, while higher education and music, those worlds were being completely flipped on their heads. Asian Americans were having a separate experience of the pandemic. And I just sat there thinking, like, what, what do I even have to say? What could I provide that could possibly be of value? What could I even say that already hasn't been said? And what I ended up deciding was uh, I wrote a composition called I Am Not a Virus. 
based on the um, kind of that social media movement and based on that idea that we are still in a place where as Asian Americans, we're being blamed from for a rather for a pandemic that we didn't create, nor did we control the response to. And so it really, really struck me as something that I could could say productively. I thought about it a lot. I decided I didn't care care if it was perfect. Spoiler alert, it's not. <laughs> um, it, it, is, it is very much like it's very raw and very real. You know, everything was um, recorded straight through in, in it's everything is complete takes. Um, so there's not really any slicing and dicing. Uh, there's just, it's like we're performing almost. Yeah. And when I, I, I wanted to do it that way because this record to me is a time capsule. Mm-hmm. What was it like to be Asian American during this time? Who, how did I find myself as a Korean American? How did I find myself and my voice in this way? And I realized that there were very few people, particularly jazz musicians, that were saying these things and that were saying these things that I really wanted to hear. So I decided that I would say them. And while I, this is kind of where I got into like the music part of things. Um, while I, I had been at, at Hope during my first academic year, um, I met a wonderful pianist named Lisa Song. And Lisa is a first generation Korean American and she actually and her husband, David, have been really, really very close friends of mine um, ever since I moved back to West Michigan. And through Lisa, I, she's been showing me all of these children's songs um, that she grew up with, a lot of folk music. And she, she'll just play the piano and say, here, play, play this, or here, play this. And it is beautiful to hear this music her music, you know, coming directly from her experiences, her culture. So that that was very powerful for me as well. And as I thought about, like, who I wanted to be, the musician I wanted to be, the, um, the artist, the kind of artistic statement that I wanted to make, it was really clear to me that I have something to say as an Asian American jazz musician. You know, I have I have something to say as a composer, and so that's why you'll find a few versions of the the song Arirang on the record. It's because it's me taking back my heritage when it was rather violently taken from me, and so I hadn't planned on putting Arirang on the record until later than I would like to admit <laughs> because I wanted to just write everything. Yeah. But then I decided that I would put this beautiful folk song with this idea that it would be a, like a window into what it meant to me to be Korean American. And so that is that really, if there's anything, that's the most important song on the record to me. When um, Lisa and, you know, her husband, David, when they tell me how excited they are that I'm playing this music and that this is the music that I'm choosing to record and to, to arrange, to leave my stamp on, they both feel really great about that. And that makes me also feel good. 
because I, like I, I said, this is my like American jazz music version of what this is, what this song is. And the first time I remember the first time I played it for her and with her um, accompanying me on the piano, I was so nervous. <laughs> I was so nervous because I was just like, I just want this to be good enough for you. I just want this to be, I don't want to disrespect. I want to honor the the place where where we are both from, yet we've had you know such divergent stories. But I want to honor it like like first and foremost. Um, and really luckily, <laughs> she uh, still agreed to be on the record, um, even with my uh, even with my uh, arrangement, and um, she really enjoyed uh, playing it. But I I, I remember that is one of the formative things uh, for me. Um, and that actually has helped me find myself more um, as a composer and as a musician than many of the other things that I've done, studied, or have written. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate all of that background. The record is called I Am Not a Virus, uh, named after the that composition that kind of launched you into what this record is going to be. And I really appreciate you so eloquently. I kept was like, I got to jump in here and say, this is the record and then have you talk about this. But you were just killing it. And I just really wanted, was really invested in what you were saying about it yeah. and talking about it. Just that journey to building it, you know, and wanting to do something and then having nothing because of this pandemic and, you know, finding that inspiration and figuring out where to go from there. I, I appreciate you saying, I think, that Adidang, the arrangements that you did, is the most important record or, or cut on that record. And what I what I really... Your hip-hop is showing, Patrick. What? <laughs> so your hip-hop is showing. Oh, sorry. The, um, the most important <laughs> cut of this record. But um, I say that because, and I, I say I appreciate that because preceding that song is an interlude that I really truly believes when I listened to it this morning, I, I was up and I was, uh, just playing it. I wanted to play it all through, um, instead of just picking out songs. I really felt that that was a great transition from the message of the album into this new, uh, uh, arrangement of, of this, you know, hugely popular, you know, it's the iconic song of mm-hmm. Korea. And I thought mm-hmm. that, You know, it just really, I don't want to say it made me like emotional, but it was, I did feel emotions with it because I'm new to this and to feel, to feel the emotion come through in that change. It's like, I'm taking all of this that I just did from the first six songs and then I'm building up to show, to share with the world. Now, this is my, this is how I connect with my heritage and my culture. I just wanted to say that that I really I thought that was amazing, and I won. And I guess my question would be about that interlude specifically. Just how did it, what was that planned to to bridge it that way, or how did that come about? So that's a that's a really great question. So actually, um, first of all, I am so uh, honored to hear that you like the Arirang interlude because um, it's one of my favorite things on the record as well. And as a matter of fact, it might be might be the favorite thing for me. Uh, on the record, which is hilarious because I don't really do anything on it. Like I don't, um, and I was telling this to one of my saxophonist uh, friends and he said, uh, cause he, he also had remarked that he liked it. And he said, um, and I had, had told him, I was like, this is so weird. Like I, I love this and it, I really feel it. 
and I don't, I just don't, I don't do anything. I just play this like, you know, kind of this repetitive, like motoric uh, rhythmic figure. And he said, you know, as I get older and as I get uh, more mature as a musician, I learned that I don't always need to solo over my own music or I don't always need to like improvise. I'm just okay letting the composition tell a story. And that composition actually is um, kind of one that does just that. So I don't know if you're familiar with the traditional Korean instrument, uh, kaigum. It's a stringed mm-hmm. instrument. It's plucked. I don't think so. Uh, beautiful, beautiful. Um, and if you are a member of the, I can't remember if it's the CAD group or the Subtle Asian Adoptee Traits, but Matthew Pellegrino. Oh, yeah. He plays Kaigo. Oh, okay. And um, I just saw a video of him in that in one of those groups. I think it was the subtle Asian adoptee one, potentially. Hmm. But I think I just saw that post. He, he plays it so beautifully. Um, and it's a beautiful instrument. And I was listening to a lot of that as I was thinking about um, what I wanted to do with my arrangement. And so I was kind of thinking about how to, to craft the arrangement, but I wanted to do it in a way that honored the culture of Korean music. And I didn't want to completely like, I mean, there are a lot of different things that you can do and a lot of, again, diverging paths that one can take. But something that I wanted to do um, was to kind of musically represent Kayagum and the um, kind of like the sonic flow of the instrument. So I I originally had um, the interlude splintered off from what originally I was going to write as the arrangement. So originally it was just going to be this, um, it it had a very different character. And what I had decided was that it needed to be two separate tracks. The first one was the interlude that would bridge the prior uh, composition, Sea of Tranquility, with the Arirang. And um, in doing so, I wanted to take the listener on a journey, kind of through my own journey um, of acceptance of myself, of who I am. And in a lot of different ways, the Arirang interlude is the start of that journey. Um, and the whole record ends. Rather than with this loud, like declamatory ending, uh, I decided to have the whole record end with the solo saxophone and piano setting of Arirang, just the, the melody. And it's a very simple setting. So I used three different harmonizations of that melody. And the way that I use harmony is to evoke different emotions. So it's interesting, Patrick, that you would say that um, the the piece evoked different emotions for you because that's what it, the harmony was designed to do. And so um, Arirang Interlude is supposed to be like really peaceful. Then it's there's a kind of a tumultuous uh, little bit part uh, in the beginning of Arirang. And then at the end, there's this feeling of um, Han, which is this like deep feeling of longing and um, like almost a sadness. Uh, there's not a very good English equivalent. And this is something that I had taken from my work with Lisa. So she was telling me like what these songs are all about and what, um, what they mean to her. And so culturally, I knew that I had to weave that into the harmonic framework of the composition. And so what I ended up doing was I wanted that to be this closing gesture of like you pull the curtain back 
the when you strip down the instrumentation, it's it's like you are are looking at it with a, a magnifying glass. And when you look at it like this, when everything else is stripped away, that's what's at the core. And the statement for the record, to me, if there's anything that somebody takes away from the record, it's those la- that last statement of the Utterdung melody. That's the essence of the record. It's that feeling of Han that I was trying to capture. And so that's kind of how that composition came about. Um, I'm so glad you liked the interlude. There were a couple times when I was like, oh, am I going to, like, is it, like, cheesy to do, like, this interlude or anything like that? And then I eventually, I thought, I don't really care what anybody else thinks about this. I really like it. So uh, <laughs> so I'm just going to I'm gonna put it on the record. And sure enough, um, it was one of those things that when we were in the studio playing together for the first time in many months, um, it was one of those things that was very rewarding to see come together. That's amazing. How did you decide? I know you've said a lot of, of things about the the pandemic and the names of the the CD being, um, you know, I am not a virus, and there's some, you know, social meaning behind that. And then to choose your cover photo of you wearing a mask as well, uh, how did that play into that? That's a great question. So my um, the person who did my like concept photo art stuff, he and I had talked about kind of the essence of the record and what it kind of meant. And I said, well, we had to be masked indoors anyway. And so, and so he was like, well, what if we make that part of the shot? And so this guy is brilliant. His name is McCoy Kempfui. Um, and he, like I said, is one of my closest friends since childhood. And he is a um, first generation Lao American and he, uh, again, I, I mean, I've, I'm always looking for ways for our art to intersect. And so I, when I was talking to him about this, I said, will you do the cover art for this album? Um, and it was his photo that we ended up using when Parma took over the design, um, the record label had taken mm-hmm. over the design. And I, I said, this photo is really special to me. Will you please incorporate it like into the design? And they, they were very gracious about it. They said they incorporated not only the photo, but his, his original design, um, which mm-hmm. I, I thought his original design concept uh, was very cool. So the way that, um, so the, the reason we had this particular photo was because um, when you wear a mask, there's a lot of your face that people can't see. And I think that a lot of times that has led to a lot of misconstrued uh, emotions, a lot of uh, misconstrued even identities. And the thing about it is that really resonated with me was that's the same way that people look at us. Yeah. Like people look at us through masks of our physical appearance. And it's only when people get to know us that they understand who we truly are. And being plagued by that sort of thing for my entire life, I had to incorporate it in this, uh, in the framing of, of the artwork for the album. And so making that choice, there actually it is, so the front cover is that image, and then the back cover is me pulling down the mask. And it's almost almost as if to say like, when you look behind the mask and look at me, this is who I am. And this record is a sonic manifestation of who I am. 
so yeah, it's a, it's a concept that I'm, I'm really proud of. I'm glad you uh, picked up on that, um, that it was a really special meaning, but our, here's the thing, like, regardless of being adoptees, like people don't know my name when they see me on the street or, you know, yell things at me, slurs Mm -hmm. from moving vehicles. They don't know my name. They just see me as some other Asian person. They see me as a foreigner. They see me as somebody who doesn't belong. And because of that, because of those kinds of interactions and those kinds of problems that we all face, that's what, what led me to choose that as an image. That's, that's amazing. That's, I mean, it's really, uh, has lots of, lots of deep meaning and, uh, I think that's a great, uh, great choice and excla- explanation of that too. Thank you. Uh, I figured it wasn't just because we were in a pandemic. That you, <laughs> not, that. not quite. No, there's some, there's a, a few other, uh, layers there. And then you, when you said that you pulled it down in the back, uh, on the back of the cover, I thought you were going to say that's so you can play this action. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you do have to pull the mask down to play the saxophone, <laughs> but that was not specifically the reason that it was uh, on the cover. <laughs> well, I, uh, I do agree with Nathan. I think you did beautifully explain that. Um, and I hope that I think that's going to come across, especially to our listeners. Um, and I think though, you said there at the end, you know, you're right. We do a lot of times or a lot of, or people of color in general are just viewed as a monolith. And we've said on the show multiple times, you know, Asian America is not a monolith. Adoptees are not monoliths. And, you know, I don't think I have to say this, but I think you, you are seen and you are part of this community. And like you had said before, you know, we're not alone uh, in this journey together We're we're all in this together. And that's how we're going to come through on that stuff. Well, and that, and that's, that's what I'm trying to get across. This record is for you guys. This record is for our CAD community. This record is for Asian Americans. This record is, is for, you know, people who are Asian, Asian American, who are CADs, who don't feel seen, who don't feel heard. This, this record is very much for our community because through it, I wanted to say, if there's nothing else that you hear that you resonate with, I hope that you resonate with the emotions, even if you don't like jazz, like even if you don't like the music, like I hope you resonate with the narrative and resonate with the the emotions that I'm portraying. I'm sure they will. I think what's so incredible about uh, listening to this, like just the whole story of the album from conception to recording to uh, i mean even while you're talking i was reading through the liner notes is um so like in my own experience i found um the same thing where it was like uh as a musician like having in in church work like getting that all flipped upside down you know like i was just making so much produced content because uh, I have those skills, I can do the audio engineering and the mixing and all that. So, like I was, I, that's what I was doing for the church. I was, I was, I was pre-recording stuff, and somewhere right around the same time that you were probably recording your album, I was like, I am so through uh, making the prettiest version of my music, yeah. and I miss the the time capsule and the reality of uh, live music. Um, and so, I, I really love that this is, you know, essentially a live album. Um, and that, that you have, you know, these compositions and you, you've, you've carefully crafted this thing. But at the end of the day, you're like, here is 
this moment and um hearing you talk i mean i can't see on your on your uh website the back image but hearing you talk about uh wearing a mask and then pulling it down is like this is to me it feels like your love letter to asian america to uh to cads but it's it in a way that's like i'm revealing one layer like Mm -hmm. this first mask this easiest mask uh like as you listen to the album then you get a glimpse into like the human beneath and there are so many other layers uh so many other means of protections and then means of just getting to know you as a person uh that we have yet to explore and so it makes it makes me really excited for future projects um and and just to be able to support you and and continue that journey because i think too um this album is so similar to uh yeah like that what i felt like was a um nationwide sense of asian americans being like oh shoot we're a minority and people see us as a minority whereas previously uh we could get away with not being seen as a minority you know or like the the things that were the microaggressions and the abuse that we um our brothers and sisters might have tolerated were uh on a smaller scale or quote unquote not as bad i mean definitely not as bad like it's our the racism that we face is you know uh different certainly than the kind that black people will face but like there was just like that kind of weird social wokeness that kind of happened <laughs> for asian americans and i think as kaz just as you shared with us in your journey and and the three of us are going on in this podcast like there's a, a kind of wokeness that happens with realizing that we are korean american and and sometimes that comes up in talking with cads sometimes that comes up in talking with other korean americans you know however that that plays out so i'm just so excited and, and absolutely thrilled um that you are on the show to talk about this project because our heart is uh is absolutely like we need some freaking content for ourselves. And you're like, I wrote this for us. Like right. this is yeah. for our yeah. community. Uh, and it so is. just to meet another content creator who is building yet another table, um, because like as much as we would like to be, we know that we can't be all things to all people, but I'd like to be some things to some people. Uh, and I'd like to be able to point to you and be like, here's something for you that may not like the thing that I do, but like, maybe this is what you're into, you know? So, um, Thanks. I don't have a question. I just was like, there's just like, there's <laughs> lots of guys. things. Oh, actually, the thing, the the question is, uh, where can I, where can I buy your album or your singles or whatever, and uh, how can I support you um, and follow your trajectory as a as an artist and a content creator? Well, that's that's very gracious of you to say, KJ. First of all, um, yeah, I'm so honored to be here. I when Patrick reached out. I was like, wait a minute, you all have, we have a podcast. (laughs) I said, yes, I want to be part of this. Like I, I, and the more I have, um, like I had kind of stayed away from like adoptee Facebook groups and whatever, and, and things of that nature. Um, until I met my friend, Robin, um, Afric, who's an incredible DEI professional, um, and she was like, oh, here are a bunch of groups that you can join and blah, blah, blah. And here are a bunch of places that you can engage. And I was like, okay, cool. Right on. <laughs> and all of a sudden I was seeing like post after post, comment after comment of people who experienced a very similar, like a life to the one that I did. And it was so not, I felt so seen. I've never felt, mm-hmm. I've never in my life felt so seen. And so for me to be able to come on here and talk with you guys and, um, you know, for us to create 
together part of our community, part of our reality is really empowering. Um, to answer your question a little bit more directly, uh, KJ, so I have a YouTube channel. Um, I posted the first single from the record, Justice for the Unarmed, which I wrote uh, after the deaths of uh, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery um, as, as my reaction of like, wh who are we, Asian America? Uh, what are we supposed to do? This is absolutely, this is devastating. Um, that like, like this is a, a really different, and it's di like, I felt so powerless and helpless. So I, I released that song. Um, but the, the pre-order page should be live, I think sometime in January. Um, and that, uh, will be, it's being released through big round records of the Parma recordings group. Um, let's see, there's, there's that, um, and then I'll be actually I'll be releasing Arirang as a another single um, from the record, uh, just because it is so special to me, um, and just because that that song does mean so much. Like, um, and uh, also I <laughs> just as a side, I I promised Lisa that I would um, release Arirang as a symbol or as a symbol as a single for all her Korean friends uh, <laughs> to, to listen to, like, and for the greater, like, community of, I don't know, the Korean diaspora, if you will, <laughs> yeah. um, if we Great. even have a, a, such a thing. But, um, yeah, I, I, I... This is us. We yeah. are the diaspora. Are. There you go. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, California and Missouri and Indianapolis, <laughs> that's our diaspora or something. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I, I will be releasing that as a single. Um, but, I mean... I'm still a small town guy at heart. And the fact that anybody would ever be interested in anything that I've written or performed or, or my music in general, I'm still frankly quite blown away by that. Like I, when I'm writing, I, <laughs> I don't always think about, and it can be a pretty debilitating thing to think about, like, is anybody ever going to listen to this? Um, but, you know, this music, this very personal music stayed with me and only me for such a long time mm -hmm. and being able to share it with people finally is among the most, you know, powerful and rewarding things that I've ever experienced. So thank you for all for being interested in my music. Thanks for having me on and, and hearing my story. I'm, I just couldn't be more grateful. Well, thank you for creating it, and congrats. Exactly, yeah. So. Thank you for even accepting my friend request on Facebook and responding <laughs> to my message so we could get this all started. Um, so that's, what I, that's how I found you. Uh, where else can people engage with you? You said you have a YouTube channel. Um, what, other, yeah. what other ways can people get, it, get in touch with you? So I am um, on Facebook and Instagram at, Jan, at J Van He Music, J-V-A-N-H-E Music. And I would say Instagram, I try to, you know, post a, a good amount of content and, and just, you know, connect with, with people um, with, you know, similar interests and, and connect with, you know, other musicians, connect with other people. Um, so those places, I have a website, jordanvanhemert.com. Um, you can send me an email. I'd love to hear from anybody who, especially if you've, like I said, been in any way moved by the music at all. Um, so, um, those places, let's see, am I forgetting anything? 
YouTube. I, I don't have enough subscribers right now Same. to have like a YouTube uh, yes, under my own yes. like, <laughs> URL. Yeah. But it's a, it's, you can, I'm, I'm sure like there can search be like, a link or a copy and a page. Yes. Yeah. You can just search my name. I think that's about it. Uh, as far as like connecting and whatever, but I welcome the connection from any of your listeners, anybody who's out there listening Perfect. and maybe is resonating with any part of this. Yeah. Well, we'll be sure to share it on our page and, and also you'll see all the links. Yeah. I was very excited to share this with the community, but yes, it is time for food. Um, the project, the, the, the album is I Am Not a Virus. The guest is Jordan Van Hemert. We will be right back after this with a little bit of food. Hello, welcome back to <laughs> the present time. Uh, sorry for this, again, rough transition, but you know what? Sometimes life just gives you crazy curveballs so um thank you jordan for talking about your album i am not a virus uh it is out two days from the day that this episode is released uh or you can just go and find it because you're listening to it in the future so hello from the past um, but right now it is our present and we are presently getting into a snack nathan uh can you describe what the snack seems to be? Because it's all in Korean and none of us really knows. No, yeah, I, I cannot read any of it, but I like the <laughs> packaging. I, I will go right off the first bat and because there was a couple packagings that we had recently that I was like, ah, you can't really tell what it is or just briefly has the word strawberry in it. But this one, you know, has a nice big character on it with the big smiley strawberry. It's got, you know, these the letters look very like energetic it's it's very it's high energy so i'm i'm expecting this to be like like you know when we put this in the mouth it's like pow it's like strawberry but i could be wrong so it is a crown product it's called say wait say com talcum and then it does say strawberry and it says vitamin c that i i knew that's like what it was that. called because it says it in here this thing oh yeah. did you did you <laughs> way to read way to read patrick the packet cheater i look at the pants oh, my fingies oh, oh my fingy <laughs> well I, i'll have to then come clean and i actually looked up the website so um and it says that it is a korean sweet yet sour candy Ooh, the sweet longer, and sour. The longer you chew it, the softer it becomes. That's a terrible description. Is that description. not how it's supposed to be? That's how all foods work. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> the longer what? you chew it, the more it goes inside of you. So, <laughs> okay. Um, uh, I'm going to admit, just off the bat, either I can't smell, but it does not really smell like strawberry. Whereas, remember how we like, had the, the apple ones last time? Yeah, it really smelled good. like apple. This one was does not smell like strawberry, so. Ooh, she's sour. My packaging just oh, really yeah. not great. Oh, good job on that opening. Got wow. Mm-hmm. Real sour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, right off the bat, much harder than the Maichus that we had last time. Harder? Really? Harder. Yeah. I'm having a much harder time chewing it. Like. Okay. And I can compare that because I just had one of those my chews like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> oh, you didn't eat all of yours immediately? Like I did? I've been savoring <laughs> them. Yeah. Dude, I finished them the next day. I was like, these are gone. I'm in a meetings and I, I'm just, yep, these are gone. I nearly finished them on the show. Dude, that's insane. They were so good. While I chew yours this, I sour? feel like I'm, 
I'm doing like ASMR or something like that because it's like so like. I think it's getting more sour the longer I chew yeah. it. Oh, I impressive. already swallowed this first piece and I didn't. Feel <laughs> do you like not it got... just chew it? <laughs> I until did chew it. Do you not chew it longer so that it softens in the mouth? <laughs> yeah, come on, Patrick. Come on, already. hello. The last it one was called soft. my chew, not my swallow. Yeah. <laughs> It, All right. It's so juicy. It makes me go. This is real intense. Yeah, it is. It actually has strawberry juice, Diaries. strawberry juice in it and uh, black currant for some coloring. Yeah, all the ingredients seem pretty standard except one that I cannot pronounce. Well, you are cheating because you're yes. looking at the website. All the ingredients on the package are all in Korean. So That's why I I can pronounce cheated. all of them, but I don't know what any of them are. I like to know what's in my my mouth. <laughs> oh, shoot. That came like straight out of the... All right. Let's get into ratings. I'm going to go first. <laughs> Crown, I generally like your products, but this is not well packaged. Maybe it's because it's too old because it's just been like... It's been hanging out and we've been really stretching this box out, but oh, come on, guys. So I was trying to like... Pull my second piece out, and I had to like unwrap the thing. I know this is an audio podcast, so I'm not like describing it well, but I had to like spiral it down. He's rotating his hands. And then <laughs> KJ rotates and then hands. I... <laughs> KJ, you... okay, wait. Side note, chuckles. Side note: Have you ever listened to a movie with like the English audio yes. description on? Yes. It is wild. I did not yeah. know what was happening once, and I turned on a Marvel movie, and it was like <laughs> a silver thing flashes across the screen. I was like, "What am I listening to?" But yeah. I think it was like Deadpool or Ant Man. I was like, "Like it was kind of like one of the funnier ones." Like, oh, maybe it's just like this is a bit that they're doing, and it was not a bit. I was like, "Oh, <laughs> my bad." Anyways, it's so hard to get out that like I literally opened the second one while I was trying to get the second one out of the package. So. Uh, not great, but mm-hmm. I do like the sour candy. Yeah, uh, I think I like it more than like just regular sweet stuff. So I'm gonna give this a solid four out of Ooh. five. That's poorly a high packaged for you, KJ. strawberry candies. I was gonna give it a four as well. And it's nice. the four things dangling here from my package. Patrick holds up ripped package. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I forgot. Well, we do this for YouTube. Well, we do so. it for YouTube, too. So if, if you guys are watching on YouTube, you don't have to, you um, don't have to listen. I just think I'm incapable of chewing things long enough to achieve the full sourness that you guys are. I mm. did the second one, and I thought I chewed it for a solid long time, but I've realized I've already swallowed it, and I didn't feel any. I didn't get any of the sour. So if I could get a little more sour, um, I would give it a slightly higher, but I'm going four out of five. Hmm. Mine has migrated to the roof of my mouth and is sitting there slowly dissolving. The roof. Giving, yes, the roof of my mouth is just sitting there so I can talk and not sound like I just up talking like that. So <laughs> it is what? there, and every once in a while, you know, it dissolves a little bit into my mouth. I don't know. Um, it's just the way I'm doing it right now so I can continue talking, too, and still enjoying the flavor but yeah i like the sourness i like the uh the taste it's it's still sweet but i I think i want a little more strawberry but okay yeah uh, let's talk about what does this taste like because it's not strawberry it's not straight strawberry yeah it's not not strawberry right i would just classify it as candy it just tastes like candy i couldn't give it a specific taste like a berry candy maybe i was thinking maybe it's like a strawberry with like that like kind of milky flavor that seems to be prevalent in a lot of Asian candies. Mm. Like it does have like a like a mm. strawberry yogurt kind of vibe to it. Yeah, that was like made sour. So yeah, gosh like, dang it! I just want to get one out without <laughs> taking it out of the package. 
I can't. I can't with you, Crown. Yeah, I'll give it a. I'll give it a four. I'll stay consistent too. I, I'm gonna give it a four. I like. I like the taste. I like the look. And uh, I, like I was right though, because of that 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 uh, little packaging is so vibrant. It does give you a little punch at the beginning there. So mm-hmm. I like that they stayed consistent with that. Good stuff. It's an enjoyment that is keeps on going. If you don't swallow it, that is Patrick. Sorry, I couldn't help it. <laughs> Here's what it tastes like to me, for better or for worse. It tastes like a strawberry, like uh, yogurt. But specifically, like a Danimals drinkable, if you know what that is. Mm-hmm. Just that had was... one of those ten minutes ago too. <laughs> nice. That was like watered down a little bit, so it was like properly drinkable, and then carbonated. But the carbonation is frozen within the thing, and then it was like reconstituted to be this hard candy, hmm. and so it's like like this the sourness makes my mouth feel like I am taking in kind of like a carbonated drink, but like it's like a slow, you know, kind of whatever so that was hyper specific it was but i was like oh this is what it feels like anyways i like it i appreciate it i can i can envision that yeah can you wandavision it wandavision it (laughs) no spoilers no spoilers it's great (laughs) and if you like comics text me wait just kidding email me and we'll talk about it you know you wear patrick i'm not gonna tell you that (laughs) all right well if you want to talk to Patrick about Marvel, you can find him online at Patrick in the World on all the places he wants to be found. And at P. Armstrong on Clubhouse, where I do things. Also, because this is a Jordan episode, I just quickly want to remind everyone this his album, I Am Not a Virus, is coming out this Friday, March 12th. Um, if you are listening to this on Wednesday morning, tonight... Tomorrow and Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard, 5 p.m. Pacific, we are hosting pre-release events uh, out or events with um, other Asian American artists. Jordan's having a conversation, and they're also debuting uh, Never Heard musical collaborations. So that's really exciting. Streaming directly from Jordan's page on Facebook. Um, Tonight is Prisca. And tomorrow's conversation will be with Dan Matthews, uh, former guest of the show. So um, please go check that out. Uh, Really excited for that. Friday is the album release party. There's going to be more guests. Uh, He's going to play more music, and it's going to be a real fun time. So hopefully we can see you all there. And Mm -hmm. Jordan's Instagram, for those looking for it, is music. So J-V-A-N-H-E music. Uh, and that's Which, uh, his fun, Instagram fun fact that's how you pronounce his last name van hemert van yes hemert. not van hemert definitely check out his page you can find me uh my personal which is n noak on instagram or noak photo uh you can find me at kj Rocky wherever i want to be found on the internet you can find the john chi show at john chi show uh on all of our social media handles we're talking facebook twitter Maybe Clubhouse at some point in the future, but not right now. Oh, yeah, we can make a club because that's open now. Yeah, so um, you can read our blogs and also look at some stuff that are like some funny pictures, mostly of me, uh, (laughs) on our website, johnchyshow.com. You can support the show at johnchyshow.com slash support. Uh, thank you to everyone who has supported the show. That really helps us. Uh, and it makes us just feel good about ourselves. You can find us on the After Party Facebook group. So uh, just go to John Chi Show After Party. Join the, the, all the fun behind the scenes and the little 
tidbits that we talk about. Yeah, you can talk to Patrick about Marvel. You can talk to me about The Good Place. You can talk to Nathan about his kids or like photos <laughs> or food. I don't know. I don't food. Know. You can talk yeah, to me food. about food. We can but share. Sure, you food do post pics. a lot of food content in that. Hey, group. I mean, I'm not complaining. Don't get me wrong. Uh, just go. He with loves food, what works. and he loves anything that says new on the package. Ooh, that is yeah. a, that is we can talk about that. If any of that you know, by the way, I don't know if you knew KJ, but Sarah's been uh, messaging me on the side with some new items that she's been finding. So, <laughs> Sarah Jean. <laughs> Sarah's middle name is Jean. We're Uh-oh, gonna have sorry. some talks. <laughs> All right. But Anyways. yes, there's some really good uh, new <laughs> products out there. So if you need to know about any snacks or things, contact I'm pretty sure me. she messages all of the John G boys, Jerry included, <laughs> on the side. So she doesn't message me sometimes. Actually. <laughs> That's not true. She definitely. No, I just you. said sometimes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> anyways, uh, anyway, back. we are gonna go. We'll see you <laughs> online, and uh, you can hear from us next week. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Bye. Mm-hmm. Dan heyo. End show. Ending is always so awkward. Yeah. Well, that's why the music's supposed to pop in there, so it's not awkward. everybody, Patrick here. I wanted to take a moment to talk about an organization that's doing a lot of great work in our community right now, and that organization is Hate is a Virus. Founded in April of 2020 by Tammy Cho and Michelle Hanabusa, Hate is a Virus is a nonprofit community of mobilizers and amplifiers who have been working to dismantle racism and hate in our society. They do this by educating, amplifying, and activating the Asian American Pacific Islander community to stand for justice and equality and solidarity with other communities. Now, due to the massive increase in Asian hate crimes this past year, something that we've covered on the show, Hate is a Virus has started something new. Their latest initiative is called the Community Action Fund, an amazing effort to raise $1 million for local and national AAPI organizations who have been providing pivotal services and programs to our communities for decades. As many people will know, it takes a lot of funding to be able to provide adequate programming and services, especially when they're related to things like mental health, a representation in the media, or even the protection of our elderly. This is exactly what the Community Action Fund is here to provide for. Hate is a Virus will be partnering with trusted community leaders to determine where these grants should be awarded, as well as to establish a system for providing these grants on a rolling basis. To reach $1 million, though, it's really going to take all hands on deck. So there are a couple things that we can do right now to help out. The first one is contribute if you can. You can go to hateisavirus.org slash donate right now to make a contribution towards the fund. And every single dollar counts. The last time that I was able to speak with the Hate is a Virus team, they told me that they were closing in on $100,000 in contributions or about 10% to goal. And they said once they hit that, that there were going to be some big announcements 
announcements coming that they were really excited to share. So this is a great opportunity for us to be able to help them reach that first milestone and keep going. The other way that we're able to help out right now is by spreading awareness. The pandemic has forced everyone to go online to the digital space. And that is still the best and safest way that we can help spread the word right now, utilizing our online voices. Hate is a Virus is encouraging everyone to use their social media platforms and share their stories and experiences. This movement is about lifting our voices, and the internet has truly given us a way to do that. When you're making these posts, make sure to tag at hateisavirus underscore. Make sure to use the hashtags hateisavirus and hashtag communityactionfund in those posts. Nominate your friends and family to share and contribute to the fund as well, and make sure that you add the donation link to your social media bios for ease of access for your audience. Last but not least, the best way that we can help to share and spread awareness is by being authentically ourselves when we're talking about what's going on in our community. We all have our own experiences, and it really does shine through when we're all able to share in our own ways how we've been affected by what's going on in the community right now. Right now, we are all hurting, and Hate is a Virus is doing some really great things to help heal some of that hurt. So if you are able, I hope that you can contribute. I hope that you can help spread the word about Hate is a Virus, the Community Action Fund, and what's going on right now in the AAPI community. And until next time, my name is Patrick. I'm here for the John Chi Show, and we will see you on Wednesdays.